2: Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Number one, I'm not walking anything back. The fact of the matter is, I was expressing the more outrage. I ran twice, I won twice, and I did much better the second time. Bloomberg Sound On.
3: Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top name.
4: They will vote out Democrats because of high inflation.
5: Look at how the price of oil has gone up. I was just noting $66 a barrel on December 1st. Be not
3: afraid. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden says he's not walking back the comments, but he is dropping a budget today. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics As we are reintroduced to the idea of taxing unrealized gains, we'll put on our green visors, walk through the new budget proposal with Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky, Democrat from Illinois, who serves on the House Budget Committee. And as President Biden returns from his trip to Europe, we're going to talk about the wins and losses on this journey and the policy for the war in Ukraine with Charles Kupchin of the Council on Foreign Relations. Our panel this Monday, Signature, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us for the hour, and we start with dueling headlines from the White House today. Big news on the budget. We were expecting this. We are Bloomberg. And we finally filled in some blanks on the budget, $5.8 trillion, as I read. But, you know, when we heard that the president was going to be taking questions, well, that changed the tenor of the whole event, because, of course, everyone had to ask about the nine words. If you were paying attention over the weekend, the president, right? Vladimir Putin cannot remain in power. Well, that's not all nine, but that gets you to the point here. He says he was not announcing a policy change. Listen to President Biden today from the state dining room. Here he is.
2: Number one, I'm not walking anything back. The fact of the matter is, I was expressing the more outrage I felt toward the way Putin is dealing in the actions of this man just just brutality half the children in ukraine i just come from being with those families and uh and so uh, but i want to make it clear i wasn't then nor am i now articulating a policy change i was expressing the moral outrage that i feel and i make no apologies for
3: personal outrage he said and by the way why is that so mystifying after he called Vladimir Putin a war criminal, a butcher, and a pariah. Those don't add up to somebody who should be running their own country, but nonetheless, the president showed up today not to talk about Vladimir Putin, although, well, I guess he kind of did in a way. He was talking about the budget. So here we have it. $5.8 trillion, additional money for police and veterans, quite a bit higher spending on national security, domestic spending as well. The overall. Top line on this thing, up 5.7% from the omnibus spending bill that we are now operating under. And the president, as we hear now, came back around on the idea of paying for it, a la Build Back Better, with a tax. Um, And this is in part, not the whole thing, but in part a 20% minimum tax on income. And yes, unrealized gains. Here's the president.
2: And my budget contains a billionaire minimum tax because of that. A 20% minimum tax, it applies only to the top 100th of 1%. 100th of 1% of the Americans will pay this tax. The billionaire minimum tax is fair, and it raises $360 billion.
3: And that is on the way to lowering uh, deficit spending by a trillion dollars, a big part of the effort today to try to invoke financial responsibility, financial restraint, Enter Senator Mitch McConnell, the minority leader in the upper chamber, calls it a far-left feast. Here he is on the floor.
2: This whole far-left feast leaves out the reckless taxing and spending spree that Democrats failed to pass last year and are now trying to revive.
3: I wonder if we spoke with anyone on the Budget Committee, as we are about to. Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky, Democrat from Illinois, is with us, member of the House Budget and Energy Committee, chair as well of the Consumer Protection and Commerce Subcommittee. It's really great to have you back, Representative. Thanks for being here on Actual Budget Day. This is something that the wonks live for. But let me ask you about this pay-for, if I should call it that, the taxing of unrealized gains. Could you see that actually passing, Congress?
6: Well, I think this is something that the American people really, really want. Um, There's no question about it. You know, the the highlight, I think, of his State of the Union address when he was talking about and we're going to ask the richest of, the, of Americans to pay their fair share, um, I think, was uh, rated as one of the top uh, items that he that he mentioned. And there's a, a strong case uh, for that, so that the president can actually double. The non-defense spending, that's the spending that goes to to help ordinary people to, uh, you know, uh, put more more money in their pockets. So, yes, I I think there's certainly a a strong feeling that that ought to uh, that ought to happen. And we're only talking about taxing, as you said, the one uh, hundredth. Uh, percent of Americans to have to pay more, and the yep. and the president talked about. I, I heard his speech, and he he talked about uh, the uh, corporations that pay absolutely nothing, and yes. how much the average taxpayer spends more than these richest of the the corporations. You know, I, I get a, um, a a list of all the letters and the that I, that I hear, mm-hmm. and the number one this week. Um, of the letters that I received um, was um, to um, end corporate uh, corporations um, from from getting so much money. Okay, and the corporate
3: tax rate is one thing. When it comes, though, to my goodness, I did my taxes over the weekend. I don't do my own taxes, Congresswoman. I'm not smart enough. I went to one of these places. You walk in, you give them some money, and you sit down with the paperwork and all this, and the first thing they said was, you probably heard about the backlog, Right. And I said, yes, I've actually I've done that story. The backlog of millions of returns will make a lot of them late for Americans this year. What makes us think the IRS could handle tracking unrealized gains? Wouldn't they have to hire thousands of agents for that?
6: Well, I certainly in my office are hearing from lots of people who are wanting to get their um, 2020 taxes taken taken care of. But, yes, you know what? I think that ordinary people think that they are the ones in the crunch and the rich are getting away with it, uh, that, you know, don't pay anything on uh, on, on capital gains, but yeah. work is taxed um, higher than, than, than that. Mm-hmm. So I think what we're seeing is a flipping of the priorities in this president's um, budget from helping out the richest of Americans who have a benefited for all these years and saying "Uh uh-uh not anymore
3: well we're 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 under as i mentioned the omnibus now that was passed what it was two weeks ago or something at this point halfway through the fiscal year and that was considered an achievement and i don't need to tell you this uh, congresswoman you were pivotal in making it happen do you believe can you tell our listeners that this budget whatever form it takes through negotiation will be in place by the next fiscal year
6: well, we're, that is certainly the, the aim, that we're not going to have to wait um, halfway into the, uh, in the, into the fiscal year to finally get a, a budget passed. But I think that there actually is going to be a groundswell of support for a budget who re- that resets the priorities in the United States that's going to actually, you know, be able to save money by doing things like lowering prescription drugs um, and, uh, you know, controlling the, uh, the, the the largest of corporations. That's where the American people, bipartisan, are really at, that they've, they've had it with all the benefits that go to the wealthiest and to mm-hmm. the corporations.
3: One of the other things so we I, know I'm that people innocent. are... Well, I can I can hear that in your voice Congresswoman, and we know that people are also very concerned about inflation. This has become the daily conversation in Washington. And this uh this report, I understand the budget plan was crafted with numbers from November. Are you worried that they they are, that this is not adjusted for the current jump in inflation?
6: Well, you know, certainly we need to do something to uh to re- reduce in- inflation. But when we talk about even cu- cutting the deficit by more than uh, a, a trillion dollars, so lowering costs for ordinary people by getting um, the um, companies like the big oil companies under under control. Um, you know, we're talking about windfall profits being addressed um, in in the uh, in the Congress as well. So, um, and, and we even saw price gouging when it came to food prices. Um, And and so I think that there are a number of ways that we're trying to approach the issue of uh, inflation Mm -hmm. and get the uh, get those prices under control.
3: I understand. Uh, But I I mean, as as a as a member of the Budget Committee, does it bother you that you're not starting with the numbers that we have now? I mean, we've got the Federal Reserve often running on what appears to be a series of interest rate hikes to try to tamp this down. Uh, and, And some of these items might not be realistic with the current way they're written
6: well you know i'm looking forward to the hearing tomorrow where we have the head of the um office the omb um to discuss what these uh what these numbers are but i think the general direction is what we need to be um, focusing on in, in this budget, and we're going to get down to the specifics. This is the president's uh, proposal, and now Congress sure. is going to, to get to work with the specifics. But you know, I think when the president promises that no one um, earning um, more than uh, that, no one earning uh, less than four hundred thousand dollars is going to pay a single penny more in new yep. taxes, is something they really want to hear.
3: We've all been paying a little bit of a tax or a big one, depending on where you live at the gas pump, Congresswoman. I know this is front and center for you on what is, in fact, the House Budget and Energy Committee uh, that you serve on here. I'm just looking at uh, WTI today, crude oil, West Texas, one hundred and basically six dollars a barrel. That would have been shocking a couple of months ago. Now it's down significantly from the peak that we saw. Where should our listeners prepare for energy prices to go in the next couple of weeks?
6: Well, you know, if we if we continue to push on the issue of uh, the uh, – and the president has talked about it – the, the oil companies to help us yeah. um, instead of gouge us um, in, in lowering those prices, we should be able to see them go down. I think that there's increasing demand for that.
3: You think we've seen the highest prices this year?
6: I hope these are the high the highest points. Uh, are, we all do. You know, I'm getting calls about – took me a hundred dollars to fill my tank yeah uh, that's a real problem People 75 bucks for me
3: over the weekend i'll tell you what i never saw that on my car congresswoman jan shikowski thank you representative democrat from illinois as we kick off the fastest hour in politics we'll keep our green visors on next as we assemble the panel more on the budget more on ukraine ahead today i'm joe matthew and this is bloomberg Face it, your business is
0: unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large size companies like yours to easily manage risk
3: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. One problem with the budget we're talking about here, as I read on the terminal, is the economic projections are now outdated. They were done in November, something we just discussed with Congresswoman Schakowsky. The economic projections. As I read on the terminal, we're finalized in November, as is typical for the White House budget process. But think here for a minute. Well, this is Bloomberg. You know this already. What happened since then? Consumer price inflation surging more than one percentage point since the outlook. 7.9% in the latest release, right? Market moving stuff here, not budget moving, apparently. That's moving on its own. That was before the invasion of Ukraine. That was before gas prices hit record highs. And so we assembled a panel to make sense of all of this. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shantano and Rick Davis with us for the hour here. Jeannie, would it have behooved this White House that has been dogged by inflation for the better part of a year to acknowledge it in this plan?
5: You know, I, I think it would, have, it would have been good if they would have acknowledged it, and I think they are going to going forward. You know, this is the reality of, of fast-moving events that the White House has no control over. Yeah. But as usual, what they do have control over is the message they put out, mm-hmm. and that's where they can acknowledge this. And, you know, you don't want to be left, uh, you know, coming up from behind. So you don't want to have it acknowledged by, you know, others and have them take control of the narrative. You want to acknowledge it yourself. We're, you know, we're doing the best we can with fast moving events and these were the best projections we had at the time they haven't said that and so they're going to constantly to a certain extent be playing catch up at a time in which the numbers both economically and poll wise don't look good for this white house
3: rick i realize you can't pull a budget out of the sky but should the white house have 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 hit the, the slow roll on this maybe gone back through some of these numbers i realize this is the normal way it's done but if there's such a difference between last November and this March, what's the point of proposing it?
4: Well, I don't think it's that hard to apply a multiplier effect to the uh, increase in CPI, right? I mean, like, it's one thing to say, oh, it took us till, since November to put together all these government numbers. And that's true. It, it's very difficult to piece together all those those parts. But, but monitoring inflation is yeah. not that difficult. And that actually factors into the level of deficits and the amount of... Uh, money that you're going to have in these out years now if they want credit for reducing the deficit then they got to take credit for having inflation because that goes along with it right now and i think they're missing the point they thought it was transient now they're claiming it didn't even exist in their budget most president's budgets are dead on arrival this one's dead before arrival to
3: congress (laughs) okay d-o-b-a unrealized gains genie we've been down this road the three of us have done this and apparently we're going to do it again. Uh, taxing unrealized gains and income at a minimum 20% for households worth $100 million or more. Kirsten Cinema, Joe Manchin, Richie Neal, Jeannie. No one thinks that's going to pass, right?
5: Yeah. I mean, this is the, the, the sort of, I think bind the Biden administration has been in from the start. When you have a Senate that's 50-50, you have to make sure you don't lose anyone. And yet they also have to placate a house which is increasingly frustrated and has been with where the administration is heading. And I will say again, the latest poll numbers we're getting out is making the problem for the administration worse. You have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saying, you know, they're losing their constituents because they haven't delivered on their promises. So they need to placate the that part of the house to push these things through, mm-hmm. and yet you also have to keep the Kristensen and Joe Mansions of the world on board. I yes. think with this budget, they did try to placate to a certain extent Joe Manchin, but any one of these people who drops off is a big problem for them. This is simply not going to work, and I think it is an effort to try to get a conversation started with nowhere to go.
3: Higher spending on police and veterans, as well as defense, national security across the board, but. Uh, The defund the police crowd is not going to like this, uh, Rick. The president said it in his State of the Union. I am not for defunding the police. I'm for funding the police. It's a question of how you spend the money, though. How how's the president going to make any friends on the progressive side of the aisle when he's not likely to peel off any Republicans with this? Yeah, actually, it sounded like a very Republican budget. Let's see. They're going
4: to reduce the deficit. They're going yeah. to increase by 4% defense spending. Uh-huh. They're going to increase law enforcement by $17.5 billion. And, uh, you know, it's 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 like everything I heard up to that point in time <laughs> sounded pretty good. Uh, so I think he's really trying to get those uh, suburban moderates back on board. And I don't think he's mm. paying any attention whatsoever to the to the the progressive liberals.
3: Yeah, you know what the line is, uh, Jeannie. We heard it a lot of times today in mainstream media that a budget is an expression of values, that no one thinks it's actually going to look like this when it comes out the pipe on the other end. If that's the case, Joe Biden has well you tell me different values than the progressive wing of his party
5: he always has I um, you know this is the reality for him you know he and he not only has different values he also is facing a Senate which is where power is with the moderates in in his own caucus and and you know let's look at the timing here they're probably not going to get this done before the fiscal year in October and we are just <laughs> right around the corner then from a midterm which yeah. is looking increasingly daunting for this White House to Rick's point you know, they, to a certain extent, are in a no win situation. They have to sort of ignore the progressives at this point, and yet doing so is going to give them, leave them open to these charges that in doing so, they have lost the support of their major constituents as they head into a really, really difficult midterm cycle. So this is a no win situation for this White House at this point.
3: Great talk with Rick and Jeannie. They're with us for the hour. We'll reassemble the panel after we turn to our next story and that of course is something we can't ignore it's the war in ukraine the president is back from his trip we're going to talk about how it played and yes those nine words with charles Kupchin, the council on foreign relations he's up next this is bloomberg and we bring in charles Kupchin, senior fellow at the council on foreign relations also professor of international affairs at georgetown university in the walsh school of foreign service and government now that president biden has returned from what i think we could argue was an historic trip to europe in the midst of this war in ukraine charles welcome back to bloomberg
7: good to be with you
3: i know where everyone's talking about the nine words that the president ad-libbed in warsaw but professor he said a lot more than that and he did a lot more than deliver a single speech on this trip to europe brussels poland in the hopes of strengthening the nato alliance did the trip work
7: I think the trip was an unequivocal success in the sense that it was an emergency trip to try to demonstrate unity, transatlantic solidarity. And that's exactly what it did. You know, you had back to back NATO, G7, US, EU summits. Mm-hmm. The allies were standing shoulder to shoulder. And it wasn't just a show, uh, a symbolic show of support, they also advanced lines of effort across all fronts. More troops on NATO's eastern flank, more weapons to Ukraine, more sanctions against Russia, an agreement that the U.S. will get LNG to Europe.
3: Okay, so those sound like specific victories. Would LNG, this this idea that we're on at least a path to replace Russian gas, natural gas in Europe, was that the big one?
7: Well, I, I think you're right to use the word path because this is not going to be easy. Right. We need to produce more. We need more export terminals. They need to be ready to take more. They need to get it into their pipelines and make sure they have the necessary interconnections. It's a start, but it's an important start, because right now, you know, Russia is relying heavily mm-hmm. on energy revenue to keep its lights on and to support the war. So if Europe can indeed wean itself off, Russian gas in particular, it would help uh, uh, cushion Europe against Russian aggression and put Russia's back further up against the wall.
3: The White House was quick to walk back the president's line at the end there, uh, and the president has since followed up. But, Charles, what damage could it possibly have done? If everyone in the administration agrees Vladimir Putin is a war criminal, the president's called him a pariah, a butcher – Uh, Does any of that leave room for staying in power? I realize that this administration, this country is not pursuing regime change, but that's also not what he said.
7: You know, I I think this, this issue has gotten more attention than it deserves because the president himself has said, no, I wasn't referring to regime change. The White House has said that. The Secretary of State has said that. But the bottom line is, how much difference does it make? Is Putin sitting there in the Kremlin and saying, <laughs> oh, I've been called a war criminal, right. oh, I've been salted, and therefore I'm not going to continue the war, or I am going to continue the war? Yeah. I don't think it makes a lot of difference. I think he's making judgments on how the war is going. He's he's articulating war aims based on his own sure interests politically.
3: Well, we heard from Emmanuel Macron, who was offended by this. He says, you know, how, how do we get a ceasefire with language like that? Uh, we talked about the victories on this trip. Was was this a loss? Did the president do any damage to our relationships in Europe?
7: I think that it 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 was a bit of a kerfluffle, but not one that in any way compromises the broader mission. I think okay. the Biden team has done a pretty darn good job of organizing the effort and building
3: solidarity. Yeah. There's a lot to follow up on from this trip, Charles. You walked through some of the promises that were made, some of the initiatives that were proposed. The most important, of course, is military and humanitarian support for the what's happening right now, at this war at hand at the moment. It looks like this is going to continue for some time. What more does the U.S. need to do to help Ukraine without actually putting boots on the ground?
7: Well, we're seeing very significant flow of weaponry from NATO countries into Ukraine. Lots of anti-tank weapons, lots of stinger anti-aircraft weapons. There's now talk of increasing the technological sophistication of the air defense system. This is an older Russian system called the Mm S-300. That can go after aircraft at higher altitudes than the Stinger. That would make a difference. Bottom line right now, the Russian advance has been seriously blunted. We don't know what Putin's next steps are, but you're right. This could go on for weeks more, if not months more. We don't know where the Russians are going to take
3: this. You mentioned the S-300. Zelensky asked for that when he addressed the joint session of Congress, specifically asked for that weapon system, and that wasn't the first time. What's taking so long getting those in there, or or are they already in use?
7: I actually don't know exactly the state of play. These are systems that are possessed by some former members of the Warsaw Pact. right? Yeah. And so the, the idea is that because they're now in NATO, there would be a joint agreement to get them into Ukraine. Mm-hmm. But exactly where that effort stands, I'm not sure. And obviously what Biden and NATO were trying to do here is to go as far as they can to help Ukraine defend itself without taking steps that would appear to be escalatory.
3: You're a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations. What is the prospect of diplomacy bringing about a ceasefire with everything that has been said? If everyone agrees that Vladimir Putin is a war criminal, how do you conduct serious negotiations?
7: Well, I think whatever we think of Putin, the top priority has to be to bring this war to an end. And right now, I think there are a couple different ways it could unfold. One would be for Russia to try to hive off take a bite out of eastern Ukraine, connect the Donbas, the separatist-controlled areas down to Crimea, and stop there. The other much more ambitious goal would be to try to go into Kiev and topple the regime. Mm-hmm. We don't know where Putin is going to head. But in either way, either case, the goal here has to be to deny Russia its objective. So it ultimately says, this isn't working. We need to change the goalposts. We need a diplomatic endgame
3: Charles Cups senior fellow at the council on foreign relations professor of international affairs at Georgetown University the Walsh School of Foreign Service and Government great to have you back professor we always learn something when we talk to you appreciate your time
7: pleasure to join you
3: coming up next on Bloomberg sound on we'll reassemble the panel for their take on all this I want to know what Rick and Jeannie thought of the speech the nine words and the way forward of course in Ukraine And as Donald Trump swings through Georgia, he drops an F-bomb on live television. Or did no one carry it? We'll talk to the panel about that, too. On the Fastest Hour in Politics, I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg.
0: Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more.
3: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Maybe someday the high school history books will have a footnote to the president's wartime trip to Europe called Biden's Nine Words. For God's sake, this man cannot remain in power. Of course, spoken at the end of a 27-minute speech. Saturday in Warsaw, and that's all anyone's talked about since. Even though he said a couple more things other than that, I just wonder what they would describe this or how they would describe this in terms of positive or negative as they describe the ad-libbed remark wasn't in the original script. Rick and Jeannie are back with us as we reassemble the panel. Bloomberg politics contributors, Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano, uh, Rick, it seemed to be an honest moment. The president came out today, as we heard earlier this hour, and said, you know, I'm actually not walking anything back. He was just explained that's the way he felt. That doesn't represent uh, a change in policy with the administration. Why walk anything back? What did he say wrong? I don't think he said anything wrong. This man cannot remain in power. No kidding.
4: I mean, that's the whole point of this. And the White House puts out a statement that says, quote, the president's point. Was that Putin cannot be allowed to exercise power over his neighbors
3: or the region?
4: What does that even mean? As, <laughs> I mean, as like, opposed
3: to his own country?
4: I think you got to walk back the White House, not not the president. I mean, I think the president is perfect on this tone. I mean, we have to be a country. That promotes values. And we cannot say on one day that that Vladimir Putin's army is committing war crimes that the president himself called him a war criminal and then right. say he can remain in power. Right. How does that work?
3: Well, that's the thing here that with the, the, the language we're talking about, Jeannie, it's really not the worst thing. He's called him a butcher about 24 hours earlier uh, when he was visiting the refugees. He called him a war criminal <laughs> not much earlier than that. Uh, aren't those much more condemning than what he said uh, in an offhand remark at the end of the speech?
5: Yeah, and he called him a killer. I mean, we could just go start. on yeah. and on with the list. And and you're right. You know, the the reality is is that what the president said. It's hard to disagree with it when you think about the facts of this case alone. It's hard to disagree with anything he said. The challenge is, of course, the president to a certain extent distracting from what was a very successful trip because now you've got you know I don't think this is going to last into the history books but you get 24 48 hours of distraction away from and I agree with with what your guest was just saying what was a really really successful strip trip of uniting NATO western allies the EU and now you've got people like Macron coming out and saying well wait a minute this may not be how I would talk about it so you know to that extent It is something of a distraction, but in the reality, I don't think it matters much. This is not going to change Putin's behavior by any stretch of the imagination, and it's not going to change NATO or the EU's behavior.
3: Well, you know what the line is, uh, Rick, when people get upset about this, it's the same thing they said about Donald Trump. The words of a president matter. uh, Joe Biden said that a lot of times on the campaign trail. What do you make of that side of this? If we're upsetting our allies in Europe, was it the wrong moment to express that opinion?
4: Well, we're upsetting the French. I wouldn't say we're upsetting our allies in Europe. I mean, and by the way, how's that plan Macron had to keep the Russians out of Ukraine? Um, you know, this guy is running around trying to do the right thing, which caused peace. But the reality is he hasn't made any dent in progress. So let's, yeah. let's just look at this from the point of view of what do we need to accomplish? The only way Vladimir Putin comes to the table to negotiate, and I think your guest said this earlier in just a different way, is that if he feels the pain. And if he feels the pain both at home and abroad, and abroad means he's got to be losing in Ukraine, which there's some evidence that he's at least stymied, if not potentially losing ground. And he's got to feel the pain at home. And why in the world would you actually accommodate Vladimir Putin, who's a butcher, a killer, a murderer, and a war criminal, uh, by giving him anything other than a hard time at home? And that means politically.
3: Well, I bet it went over pretty well in Ukraine, Jeannie.
5: Yeah, it might have been it might have gone over pretty well in Ukraine. But let's not forget, you've also got, you know, meetings going on in Istanbul tomorrow. And you've got President Zelensky saying that there are, you know, there is a political diplomatic solution here, at least from his perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, this non-nuclear status, neutrality, security guarantees. So that is the reality. And and I just go back to something. You know, you also had a certain suggestion that Germany and France, according to Zelensky. We're starting to show cracks in what was otherwise a very strong unified response. And that's something the United States has done really well. Keep everybody together. And that's where I think people do have a concern about the president's statement. Yes, it may be true. He's also president with a goal. Keep the, the allies united. Anything that distracts from that is problematic from his own definition of success.
3: Spending time with Rick and Jeannie on a Monday, this is Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. I know everyone was up late last night, based on the ratings numbers I saw today at least, Uh, watching the Oscars. Little did we know we were in for fight night. Uh, My God. I actually thought watching Will Smith and Chris Rock that I'd fallen asleep on the couch, as I've been known to do, and maybe I was dreaming. Uh, But look, I just want people to understand, Will Smith was not the only celebrity who dropped... Uh, an F-bomb on an open microphone on television uh, over the weekend. Uh, Well, there was also Donald Trump. Here he is at the big rally we told you about Friday in Georgia as he was stumping there uh, for former Senator David Perdue. Here's the former president talking about climate change versus the threat of climate change versus the threat of the war in Ukraine.
2: And yet you have people like John Kerry worrying about the climate, the climate Oh, I heard that the other day. Here we are, guys, threatening us. He's worried about the ocean will rise one hundredth of one percent over the next three hundred years.
3: Crowd loves this. They love it. As he used to say, bomb the S out of them. That always got a massive uh, round of applause at the rallies. But let's talk about this one uh, Rick, the crowd size was smaller. We understand that was one of the biggest standing O's he got with a with an F-bomb. If if that is uh, the approach here, where are we going to be in six months for the midterms, never mind two years for president? Uh,
4: I don't know, but I'm sure going to watch the Academy Awards next year, you know, with a cigar <laughs> and a scotch because it was <laughs> fat night. That was something. Was something. Um so, uh, yeah, I mean, where does he take it from here? I mean, you know, he's unleashed. Uh, it's very unusual. You see what how- happens when David see-
3: Perdue loses.
4: Exactly. You got a former president out there throwing F bombs in Georgia. I mean, some say that he was the F bomb in Georgia last time around, which is why you have two Democratic senators from Georgia. Uh, You know, if if these guys don't win, if if Kemp wins and Purdue loses, if Herschel Walker doesn't make it, I mean, he's going to have a lot of splaining to do uh, right before he announces for president. And that was the other thing, is at the rally, he seemed to, you know, tip his hat and say, look, you know, I'll be here in 2024 looking for your vote.
3: That's right. Uh, I ran twice, he said, Jeannie, this is, you know, one of the the lines in the ran twice, won twice, he said, and I might just have to do it again. How much do Donald Trump's presidential hopes, if that is what I should call them, rest on the outcome of races like these in Georgia?
5: So much of it. And, you know, he may have to take, you know, some lessons from Will Smith and Chris Rock in terms of getting attention. You know, the the, the Trump team is saying, you know, there was an audience of 25 to 35,000 people there saying it was closer to 5,000 mm-hmm. and almost very, you know, sort of muted, muted rather coverage of this thing, um, regardless of his charged language. And, you know, this is a problem for Donald Trump. If he starts to lose these endorsements, That becomes a sort of license for people who want to run away from him, you know, a la the governor of of Virginia, or at least, you know, put up a boundary between themselves and Trump. They're going to have a license to do that. That said, he remains the most popular and the most notable, you know, figure in the GOP to this point, and and he can command a lot of attention. And that is a problem for Republicans who want to— you know, do as well as they can with these yeah. suburban moderates. So he's walking a tightrope. And do- what Donald Trump didn't say is he lost Georgia, not only himself, despite what he says, but he <laughs> lost the Senate. It's they would have the Senate. That. He did not say that.
3: <laughs> Wait a minute. Uh, Rick, real quick, that how much will the midterms then, the outcome of the Trump-endorsed races in the midterms, uh, affect decisions by Tom Cotton, by Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, and whether they run?
4: Yeah, I think they're all running now, and I think it's sort of reverse discrimination, right? If, huh. if, if they run today, they try and line up donors, they try and get into Iowa and New Hampshire, which is all the things they're doing now, yep. uh, those two and more, um, then they can always pull the plug if, if they decide not to run against Donald Trump and he gets in the race. But they're not assuming he's in the race, and they're devoting a lot yep. of resources, time, and effort to hiring staff and getting people yep. on board and making those calls. So uh, I think it's indicative of some of Trump's weakness is that the field is so active right now, Mm -hmm. uh, running as if he doesn't even exist. And I guess if he throws the F-bomb down and decides to run, that could change things.
3: Rick and Jeannie, I thank you as always as we celebrate significant moments this Women's History Month now with Renita Young.
8: On this day in women's history in 1917, the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps was established. It was renamed Queen Mary's Army Auxiliary Corps in 1918. And just a few years earlier, the mere suggestion of women in the Army would have been considered ridiculous by the British War Office. As far as the British military was concerned, the only military role that was suitable for women was nursing. But in 1917, there was a huge step back from that mindset. When World War I was declared in 1914, women formed long lines at labor exchanges to volunteer for whatever roles that were available related to the war. Coupled with Britain facing a major manpower shortage two years later and several movements, women finally got an opportunity to work alongside men soon after. That's today in Women's History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio.
3: And I'm Joe Matthews. See you back here tomorrow. This is Bloomberg.